most leaders think of their first team as the people that work for them and that they're, you know, trying to make sure that their boss is happy with them, right? Is mostly how people operate. But the paradigm that Vicky shared was your first team are your peers. That's your first team. Your closest relationships and the people that you're trying to be most successful with are your peers. It's not the people that work for you and it's not your boss. And that was fascinating to me. And it was a massive piece of learning that has helped me think about more broadly, if I want to be effective, most effective, is I have to make my peers my first team. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering, where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you achieve your greatest business results by unlocking the leadership principles, best practices, and learnings of the best in the business to help you get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver results during this time of intense transformation. For this episode of the podcast, I was delighted to welcome Sanketa Carriker, the Chief Revenue Officer of Acumatica. I had the opportunity to work with Sanket when we were both at Microsoft. And I invited Sanket to the podcast so you might learn more about Acumatica's unique ERP platform, how their product is structured, their unique positioning and value, and how they design their partner program. In addition, and if you listen to the end of the podcast, Sanket and I have a really valuable conversation on career journey and great advice and best practices from his career. If you're a technology organization, I believe you will benefit from hearing how Acumatica has built their channel. And if you're a leader, you will clearly benefit from the great leadership nuggets Sanket shares here. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I enjoyed and was enlightened by Sanket Akeriker. Sanket, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Vince. Thank you very much for having me. Really excited to be here. I am excited to welcome you to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're the Chief Revenue Officer of Acumatica, and you and I had the opportunity to work together at Microsoft. So I'm really excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. So for our listeners who don't know Acumatica, can you tell us a little bit more about the company and its value proposition? So Acumatica is a cloud ERP company. We offer cloud ERP to mid-market companies, generally in a couple of different industries. So the industries that we focus on are manufacturing, distribution, retail e-commerce, and construction. And we uh, have a couple of key elements of our value proposition associated to providing cloud ERP. Number one, we focus on really deep technology leadership in what we call a future-proof platform. We know that many companies buy technology and software, and in many cases, those decisions that they make may only last a few years. And so we've made some very, very important and strategic decisions on how we build our platform to ensure that our customers can use the technology for many, many years in the future. The second big thing of our value proposition is that we focus on the best 
business and industry functionality out there. We invest in a couple of core modules that are important to all businesses, like financial management, payroll, project accounting, customer management, in addition to the industry-specific functionality in those different industries that I described before, manufacturing, distribution, retail e-commerce, or construction. And one of the key things that's really important to how Acumatica is built is that we connect all of the different workflows across all of the business processes. So whether it's supply chain, through financials, inventory management, all the way out to customer relationship management, our entire platform can connect all of those dots across the entire company. And that provides a level of functionality for our customers to be very, very successful in managing their business and at a, at a low cost. The last core value proposition for us is what we call ethical business practices. There's a number of different things here. We actually have a customer bill of rights uh, that we document and we share with our customers. This involves how we think about our price increases, what we have uh, three, a 3% uh, increase every year. We don't go more than that. It's a guaranteed uh, increase. So our customers can be committed to understanding what the solution is going to cost them in the future years. We have consumption-based pricing. Uh, so you you pay for Acumatica based on what you use, not how many users you have. So I like to do the analogy that you don't pay for water in your house based on the number of faucets. You actually pay for the amount of water that you use. And so that's how we we think about it. And we have a number of other things associated to our business practices that we think are very customer-friendly. So those are the, the core elements of our value proposition. I love what you had to say here, right? So future-proof platform, I want you to dig in a little bit there. You talked about industry experience versus the horizontal, right? Where then you have to layer in all the industry experience. The work on connecting the workflows, that's very interesting to me as well in terms of what I think I hear you say is you don't need to necessarily have it other systems that you connect to. It, it provides a comprehensive solution for that vertical area. And then ethical business practices. So can, can you dive in a little bit more here? Sure. Yeah. So on the future-proof platform, I do think that this is also a really, really key thing for how we operate. There's a number of different things in terms of how uh, our product is structured. Number one, we give our customers deployment options. So you can run in a multi-tenanted SaaS environment. We actually run on Amazon Web Services, AWS, or you can take our technology and run it on your own private cloud. So we give you those multiple deployment options. And if at any point you wanted to change, you can do that. You can move it onto a private cloud from the SaaS environment or vice versa. And the technology platform was built to be able to do that. I don't think there's Many technology platforms or applications that allow you to do that. You either sort of have to stay in one of those environments or the other. You have access to your data on whatever device you want, right? So if you are using a laptop or a mobile phone or even we have Alexa integration, you can get access to your data. So we want to make sure that all of our users get access to their data wherever that is. And that's a really important part of our platform. The third thing I'll just share to sort of dive in a little bit more on the future proof platform, we have a very, very robust customization set of capabilities. And so many of our customers find it very easy, either in a low-code way, to be able to develop functionalities, workflows, in order to match their business processes and the capabilities of Acumatica. And so we find a lot of customers finding great value in extending our platform and giving them the ability to do things that they wouldn't, they would have to have buy a third-party piece of software for or build custom software themselves. 
And the great thing about that is not just that it's customizations, but our customizations with the way that our platform is built allows you to continue to upgrade those to the next levels of the platform as you go. So we have some very, very good pieces of technology that keep you from building customizations that are going to break in future upgrades. And that's that's an important part of what we provide. Yeah, I would say so. That's amazing, actually. So you're the chief revenue officer. Can you tell our listeners why partners are so critical to your role? Yeah, I mean, I think Acumatica is very unique uh, in the ERP space. We are 100% indirect. We have 100% partners. We have no direct sales to customers. And we basically have three different partner types in terms of how we go to market. The first is value-added resellers. So we have a uh, hundreds of resellers around the world resell our product. They manage those initial customer deployments and implementations. And then they also manage all renewals for those customers over the lifetime that they're with Acumatica. The second partner type, we have OEM relationships with a number of companies around the world in different geographies. These are companies that are already have an ERP system that's out there and looking for a platform to provide them a cloud-based ERP. So for example, in Australia and New Zealand, we have a partner, MYOB. Their platform is based on Acumatica. They used our platform and build their own product on top of it and go to market with that. And the third partner motion that we have is with ISVs. So we work with a number of ISVs to extend our functionality. These are companies like Shopify or Big Commerce to support on the retail side and many others uh, that are out there like Avalara for tax solutions to provide additional functionality that customers may need. And we integrate natively with many of these. And in fact, for many of these solutions, we always we also allow our customers to buy them from us so that they can actually have those relationships with one vendor as opposed to multiple, and then have that also fulfilled by us. So they, that integration is really sort of seamless to how they deploy the technology. I love the fact that you're partner first. And as a chief revenue officer, you're not a, you don't have a standalone sales organization that's competing with partners. That is so key and critical to success, in my opinion. Can you tell us more, a little bit more about the programs? Like, why should partners choose to work with Acumatica? Yeah. You know, when I talk to partners and ask them, hey, you know, why did you select us? Why do you, why do you come to work with us? There are a number of things that stand out. I mean, the first thing is what you just described. We're 100% partner. There is no conflict. When we talk to partners and they talk about working with other publishers that are out there, there's always some conflict. And that creates numbers of issues associated to how they operate, where they operate, and how successful they can be with their business. But for us, we don't have that conflict at all. And so it makes the conversations very easy. The second thing is that we have in the industry the best margin. If you're a partner of Acumatica, you can, one, you get top line revenue. Two, you can earn up to 50% margin on new customer sales, and you can earn up to 50% margin on renewals. I don't think there's many ISVs that are out there that provide 50% margin on renewals, but we do. We're also, because we are so partner focused, we have no fees to our partner program. All of our training and certifications are free. We just ask that you stay, all of our partners stay up to date on all of our requirements to stay gold certified. So this requires um, certifications for different roles within the partner organization. So that is really important. And then we also provide training and enablement for our partners. So I find this pretty unique. We have an offering called Implementation Assist. 
And Implementation Assist is a service that we provide to our partners that as they're getting up to speed on Acumatica or on a new industry edition, they can leverage Acumatica professional services to ride along with them to make sure they deliver the product properly. So this is, I think, a great service and it helps to ensure that implementations go successfully and that the customer is going to be happy. And so those are the key things, I think, in our program that differentiate us from from other vendors that are out there. That's actually amazing. You, I think this is kind of a best-in-class partner program, in my opinion. The level of renewal rates, what you do to support your partners, not making it competitive, and providing additional services and supporting your partners along the journey. That's really amazing. Yeah, thank you. You know, we are hopefully, in the, at least in the United States, coming out of this time like no other. The world is starting to open up. But what have you seen that you didn't expect to see in the last year or more? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. And that's, uh, that's one where there's so many different parts to, to where probably we can go. You know, I would say, number one, I didn't think we could be as successful working remotely and working from home. You know, most of our partners are regional. Our customers are customers between the range of $10 million to $100 million of revenue. So in many cases, they're also pretty regional. And so the idea of being close to the partner and close to the customer is an important part of how Acumatica works. And so being in a lockdown, I think we all thought it was going to be very, very difficult for us to be able to operate in that way, that, that we would be able to continue to operate virtually but also regionally. And it's worked. I think most of our customers have been able to adapt really, really well. Many of our customers have, have done extremely well, depending on which, you know, which businesses or where they've been. Manufacturing and distribution, particularly distribution, has done very well. Retail and e-commerce has done, has done well. And construction is right now doing quite well as well coming out of uh, COVID. So yeah. that sort of adaptability of our workforce as well as our customer base is um, is is something amazing to watch, and you know that resiliency is is very positive and continues to give me hope on on how well we're going to come out of come out of this now that the vaccines are available to most people in the U.S. You know, I think it's what struck me is you said something about the local relationships, right? I believe that partnerships fundamentally allow you access and influence to customer types. You find that as well. Yeah, I do. We definitely find that. That's, uh, I think, an important part of how we operate and, and how we go to market. But yes, I do. I, we, I do find that as well. So when you're talking to partners, you know, this, this space is, I'll say, in some regards, you know, somewhat crowded, right? We've had, you know, the SAPs of the world and the Microsoft Dynamics of the world out there for some time. And it's a long sales cycle. So why is a partner, like, why would I make the switch? What do you, what do you tell partners? Yeah, so we tell, you know, one of the things that we definitely tell partners is that our commitment to being a partner first company, our commitment to technology and the technology platform, and our commitment to customer satisfaction is what differentiates us. And when we look at the other competitors that are out there, as you, as you rightly mentioned, every single one of them has conflict in their go to market. Mm. They all have a direct sales force in addition to a partner approach. And the thing that is, is also really different about, I think, how we go to market is that in those other organizations, they leverage partners largely for implementation services. Right, 
right? Not for sales and marketing, which is not how we think about it. We actually leverage our partners for sales and marketing in addition to implementation services. And so by having that full commitment to the partner model, we find our partners very excited to work with us. Yeah. And I also say the revenue share, right? That commitment to a pretty significant chunk of the revenue. That's right. That's exactly right. And you know, when we, I'll, I'll give an example, I won't name any names, but we have a partner who has 100x the number of customers with a competitor of ours. And the profitability of our practice and their practice is the same. So just imagine one Acumatica customer is worth 100 of the other vendor's customers. 100 fold. Yes, 100 fold improvement in profitability. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, you know, you and I have both been around partnerships for quite some time. You know, I mentioned earlier that you and I worked together at Microsoft. I, I recall our trips back to Philadelphia from Seattle during uh, some of those times when we'd have planning meetings and the like. But tell us about, you know, how you think about partnerships. Like what principles do you believe make a great partnership? Yeah. I mean, I think the first place to start with that is that you sort of have to understand what's my intention for any partnership. And it all starts with, you know, I, I, I think about those, and you, you re- referenced the, the airline flights. What do they tell you when the oxygen goes out and the, those masks fall from the ceiling? They say, put your mask on first before helping others. And I sort of think of partnerships a bit this way, which is you first have to say, what's in it for me before you can define what the partnership is? That I think is, is where I think all of this starts, right? Everyone, anyone who goes into a partnership needs to be really clear what they want out of it. Otherwise, you're ending up in a place that's likely going to fail. So I think that's important. And the implication of that, once you understand what you want out of it, is how you create shared goals. A, a very deep conversation before entering any partnership needs to be there. There's an overlap of shared goals. And those shared goals are well understood. They can be documented. They can be quantified. They can be achieved. That's really important. And those shared goals have to be in a high high enough priority for both organizations that both organizations are going to invest time and resources to achieving those shared goals. But they have to be shared. If there's any conflict between those goals in any shape or form, then the partnership is also, I think, doomed to fail. And so once you have that, I think the next key principle for a successful partnership is communication, frequent communication, transparent, honest communication, a reflection of the facts of performance. How are we doing? What's going on? Has stuff changed? Have, has any, anything that's happened in my business caused me to rethink the prioritization or the definition of our shared goals? I think is really important. If you don't have that, then you're going to have a really, really tough time of sustaining the partnership over a last period of time. And then the last piece I would say that's important is a commitment to make adjustments. You never start a partnership and it doesn't stay the same over a long period of time. It will always evolve because the competitive environment evolves, our customers change, the market conditions will change. And so you have to have commitment from both parties that where we start and where we end will be different and that we're going to have to make those trade-offs and those adjustments as we go along. I love what you had to say here, by the way, because I talk about shared vision for success, right? Vision is a little bit more broad, and but it's getting really to a, a point of shared goals, like understanding each other's with them or what's in it for me. The communication piece, 
I am very convicted in the fact that organizations fail here, right? The commitment doesn't happen. The communications doesn't happen. We have great meetings and then everything falls off and you go, what happened? And then the adjustment piece, which I refer to as agility, like you've got to pivot. You've got to be able to make the adjustments. You have to understand where the blockers are, like what's, why aren't we successful or what do we need to do differently to get to where we want to get to in that, that shared set of goals, right? Yes. I love it. I love it. We are totally aligned on this thing. I, I just love that. So for, for our listeners who might want to partner with you and your organization, what would you say to them? I'd say to them, call me, reach out to me on LinkedIn, email me. I'd love to hear from you. We are a fast-growing organization. You know, we're, we're doing very well right now. We've gotten some great feedback from market research companies out there in terms of you know, where they see us in terms of our vision and ability to execute. And so we're looking for more partners. We're looking for folks to join our ecosystem and, and participate in the journey that we're going under. And so if you're interested in any way, feel free to reach out to me. It's sanket.akerker at acumatica.com. Pretty easy, but love to hear from you. I love that. We will provide links to all of this information in our show notes, Sanket. So stay tuned, listeners. You'll find that here on our website as well as in the show notes. And so, as you might know from listening to other episodes of Ultimate Guide to Partnering, I'm fascinated with how people got to this spot in life. So was there a pivot point that got you on the journey to this spot, Sanket? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't think there's any one pivot point, but I think there are multiple pivot points for me. Without wanting to bore everyone of a long story, but I'll, I'll share very quickly a couple of those pivot points. So I had was planning to be an engineer and go into manufacturing. I was an operations research industrial engineer at Cornell, and I was interviewing for roles that were focused on working in a plant and manufacturing and those kind of things. I ended up at McKinsey as a consultant out of college, and this was you know very happenstance. I ended up getting invited to interview for a job at McKinsey and successfully making it through that process and joining McKinsey. And becoming a strategy consultant was, I think, that first pivot. I was there for six years, and it gave me a really, really good grounding level of understanding of how business works, how business problems get solved, and what the view from a board or a CEO is. What are the questions they ask? What are the things they're looking for? What are the things they're trying to, to fix? And at a very early age. So that was the first pivot. The second pivot is after I left McKinsey, I joined Microsoft in New York. And I was in a field sales role operating inside the enterprise business for Microsoft, selling to New York customers. That was the second pivot. Because the second pivot there for me was now getting the reality of execution that how do you actually get a customer to buy? Why do they renew their software? How do you compete and demonstrate your value proposition at a very different level? And so this was going from that 40,000 foot level to the 100 foot level and really grounded me on, on how a business operates and how you get things done and how the sales function works. So that was the second. And then the third for me was, I think, when I was given the opportunity to run Microsoft India. So this was you know, moving out of the US where you know, I was born and spent pretty much all of my professional career to go run a subsidiary across the world, one that the responsibilities were much broader uh, for me uh, from managing every segment from consumer to enterprise and all of the functions, marketing services, sales was an amazing learning experience. So now 
I got to take the strategy uh, pieces that I learned at McKinsey, the execution pieces I had learned in New York, and now to how to apply those pieces to a pretty large business and be able to make decisions to help that business continue to grow and be successful. And so I think those were what I would say are some major pivot points for me in, in my career. It sounds like, and I remember when you took that role in India, I remember that was a big promotion for you. What a, what a great opportunity. Was, was there anyone, I mean, these were three amazing pivot points, but was there a best piece of advice or maybe a couple pieces of advice that you received on that journey? Yes, um, absolutely. So the first actually comes from Kathleen Hogan. Kathleen is the chief people officer at Microsoft now. But at that point in time, she was my boss or the partner for me at McKinsey. So I knew her when I was there. And she told me, when you do a job, do your job like you're your boss. Take your boss's perspective in doing your job. Don't do your job from your point of view. Do your job from your boss's point of view. And that was amazing advice. I think that 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 piece of advice was foundational for me to thinking more broadly, working on problems that were bigger than just the problems that you know my team was managing, and understanding how to how to push an organization forward faster. So I think that was that was really key from Kathleen. The second, I, I have, I have three. So Vince, I have three pieces of advice. Yeah, this one was uh, excellent. To, to Keep going. <laughs> yeah. The second piece of advice is from Jennifer Hurd. Jennifer Hurd is also was also at Microsoft. Jennifer at that point was the vice president of the central region, and I had just gotten a job as the general manager for Mid Atlantic to move to Philadelphia. And Jennifer gave me a piece of advice that said, if you want to know all the problems that your organization faces and you want to figure out all the solutions to those problems, guess what? Ask your team. They already know all of it. They know all the problems and they know all the answers. And I have found that to be very, very true. I think a lot of leaders spend a lot of time trying to search for what's the right problem we need to solve and what's the solution for it. And they don't actually start with their team and canvas their own team on what's going on. And so if you've got a good team and you know they're connected to the market and they're connected to their customers and they understand, they're going to tell you exactly what are the problems and they're going to tell you exactly how to solve them. And so leveraging your team effectively is, I think, truly important. So that's, the I think, the second piece of advice I'd share. The third piece of advice was given to me by Vicki Lotstetter, who was also at Microsoft. And she shared this with me when I was running Microsoft India, which was to help people understand who is their first team. Most leaders think of their first team as the people that work for them and that they're you know, trying to make sure that their boss is happy with them, right, is mostly how people operate. But the paradigm that Vicky shared was your first team are your peers. That's your first team. Your closest relationships and the people that you're trying to be most successful with are your peers. It's not the people that work for you and it's not your boss. And that was fascinating to me. And it was a massive piece of learning that has helped me think about more broadly, if I want to be effective, most effective, is I have to make my peers my first team and that they're a deep part of my agenda on what I do on a daily basis. Those are fascinating, by the way. Those are probably, I have to say this after doing over 100 episodes, that was probably the best three pieces of advice I've seen collectively shared on this podcast. And I've asked every guest this. That's really fascinating. 
I have one. I have one question for you. Like, if your peers are your first team, and this is not a trick question, how do you ensure that your direct reports also feel engaged and empowered? So um, this was, you know, something that Jim Dubois, who was the former CIO of Microsoft, shared at a he was actually at a CIO um, summit, and he shared this with his peers, and I thought it was a fascinating piece of learning. He said, look, if you're managing an organization, the thing that you want to do as a leader is manage the seams. You get great people working for you who are very capable in their jobs and know how to do it, and you help them manage the seams. So the way that you empower the folks that work for you is you make sure that they know what they're responsible for and accountable for and what they need to do, and that your job is to make sure that the blockers or the obstacles that they have with their peers are removed. And so you're always looking for that. And the way I always think about this is organizations, whatever organization structure you create is suboptimal. Just, a, you know, there's nothing that's perfect. Everything is suboptimal. And so your job as the manager or the leader is to then figure out what do I do to make the weaknesses minimum? And how do I risk mitigate those, the weaknesses in whatever organizational structure I've created? And so I love this concept that Jim shared, which is, manage the seams is a really, really good way, I think, to think about that. I love manage the seams. It's really fascinating. This is really great. We could spend a whole nother hour here saying, and I'm going to have to invite you back just for some leadership lessons for all of our listeners. This is really terrific. But I have one question that I really love to ask, and it's, it's a favorite question of mine. And, you know, we are coming out of this time like no other. And as we said earlier, hopefully, you know, we're getting to this point where we can get together in person with people. And you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite any three guests to this dinner party from the present or the past. Whom would you invite and why? Yeah, um, this is a great question. I think it gets into people's psyche very deeply, I guess. Um, that's the so, whole point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You want to want to understand what's going on inside the head. So the first one for me, I guess I'll, I'll maybe tell a bit of a story or context there is about a couple of years ago, I signed up for 23andMe, and you know they they share this sort of ancestry of your of your DNA and where it came from, and it's very fascinating because they can separate the lines from your father's side versus your mother's side, so the paternal versus the maternal side, and it gave me an interesting view over the last 20,000 years, I think is the range, how my own DNA you know traversed the globe, starting in Africa, moving across the Middle East, one, actually my paternal line going up towards Moscow, sort of Russia, and then coming down uh, through the Himalayas and then ending up in India. And so what I would be very fascinated is to invite an ancestor um, from a long time ago, you know, something maybe two, three, four thousand years ago, and have a conversation about like, how do you live? Like, what's your daily life like? I'd be so, I'd be fascinated to know for an ancestor of mine, what they, what they did, what was, what were their problems? What were the things on their mind? How did they, you know, handle themselves? What was, what were their hopes and dreams? What were they thinking about? I would find that fascinating. Is there a particular ancestor? Like you talked about the journey, what, like what point in time would you point to for that ancestor? Yeah, I think it would be somewhere in the journey moving out of either the Middle East or the sort of Eastern European geography into India. So I, I don't know how exactly how far back that goes, but I think that would be fascinating because 
you, you're on this move and you're trying to figure out, hey, I need to go somewhere else and you're going to end up in South Asia, what would cause you to do that? What would be, what would be the reason for why you would need to do that? And I, I think that would be interesting. That'd be very fascinating for me. I would say so. So who's next? So the next, the next one may have probably been already chosen by, by some of the folks you've probably had on the podcast, but I'm very fascinated by is Buddha. I've always been very fascinated on the histories of religion and the purpose of religion as it relates to civilization. And, you know, this concept of most, I think, I, I believe that um, one of the great successes of humanity is our ability to work in teams and that us together can have a goal that transcends any one individual's goal. I think that's that's one of the key fundamental traits for humanity. And it's very interesting to me because religion has always been a framework under which to create that, to create a society, to create a group of people to find meaning beyond just their sort of daily lives or their own personal objectives. And Buddha, for me, I find fascinating because he in some ways separated two critical pieces of what I find are underpinnings for religion. Religion, most religions tend to have a, a, a thesis on origin, where we came from. Mm -hmm. um, and then they also have a, this is how you should behave, right? Yeah, a dogma. And a dogma. And that dogma usually has to relate to, if you don't behave this way, there's implications of that in this life or in some future condition you may be in, right? So there's there has to be a carrot or a stick associated to getting you know, people to behave a certain way. And so Buddhism is the first that I, maybe not the first, but the one I'm intrigued in, that has separated that concept of an origin theory, um, doesn't have one, and mostly focuses on you know, how human interaction and what the impact of that is and how we should behave for each other for, that, for the purposes of being good to each other. And I, I find that fascinating, like that insight that he was able to separate those core concepts and have this one concept, which I think is, you know, the core to most human, humanity success as an element by itself. So I'd find that fascinating. I, that's, that would be a great guess. Who, who's next on your list? The third one for me would be Winston Churchill. I'm a big history buff. I'm a, I love war stories and hearing all the things that are going on. I'm particularly interested by Winston Churchill for how he handled or thought of his role in the context of being the last bastion of hope for Europe during World War II. Yeah. And the stress and the thought process and the strategy he had to create to ensure that you know the country didn't did, was able to persevere, was able to keep up the fight and survive um, through, you know, many, many years of damage from Germany. And so I'm fascinated. I would, I think there's a ton of excellent leadership lessons that are associated to that because I also think leadership really comes to life in times of stress. And I'm, I'd be very fascinated to understand, you know, how he approached that, what he thought about, what were the principles he held on to as, as he helped to manage through that, through that, through the war. I'm a huge fan of Winston Churchill. You know, you know the story that the king had to talk him down from uh, being part of the D-Day invasion? Do you know that story? I do not know that story. I believe this to be true. I'll have to, I'll have to reference check it after the fact. But I believe that he wanted to be part of the D-Day invasion. And the king told him, basically stood him down, said, you're not going to go do that. It's too risky for you to be there. Wow. We're going to have to go research that after this. <laughs> 
<laughs> so make sure it call. stays in the podcast. That's but right. that that is a fascinating. I would love to join you for dinner, Sankat. Maybe or maybe just a <laughs> glass of wine. Come by and have this conversation. I'd love to meet your ancestor. I'd love to meet Buddha. I mean, wow, what the enlightened one, right? What a conversation yes. that would be. That's right. And certainly Winston Churchill. Wow. What a great dinner party. So Sankat, you have been an amazing guest. I am so I, I'm enlightened by this conversation personally. I just really enjoyed having you. Loved learning more about Acumatica. And for our partner listeners, hopefully you'll all reach out to Sanket. And thank you for joining us today on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Thanks, Vince. This has been great. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And uh, it's been fun. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.